You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, the running public. Kirk has a a fleece with a gray hoodie underneath with a backwards cap on and just got a good a good Midwestern vibe to him. Yeah. Nice. And Bracken, why don't you tell them what you're wearing? Well, I have a a very a two size too small sweatshirt on with the sleeves cut off and no t-shirt underneath. Is it cropped? It's not cropped, no. It's just snug. A sleeveless hoodie. What a douche. <laughs> Listen, if I can't wear a sleeveless hoodie, then this isn't even the America I want to live in. Exactly. This is one of my favorite sweatshirts. It was back when Reebok still was giving me stuff. It's a cottony, fleecy inside, but a microfiber outside. And it doesn't really allow moisture through a lot. I used to do a lot of winter running in it and it just got too small. It shrunk and and I'm so bulky that I couldn't use it anymore. And so I cut the sleeves off and now it's my winter running vest. There you go. Ian, what have you been up to these days? Working like crazy. Uh, The derecho kicked Cedar Rapids ass, which is basically 15 minutes from my house. The derecho? The derecho storm, yeah. I don't know, you guys probably... Up in Minnesota, probably didn't have anything, but Cedar Rapids got leveled, basically like a tornado, and I would say 20 to 30 miles wide by like the worst part's probably 50 miles long. So it's like it's a gigantic area, a couple hundred thousand homes, and I do a lot of roofing, so it's been a lot of long days. <laughs> Job security, Ian. Yeah, yeah, you could say that. Midwest Construction is that your company? Midwest Home Solutions. Home Solutions. I guess that's less confining. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and you are the you are the sole proprietor of that. I'm a hundred percent owner. Yeah. So yeah. you got what like I don't know forty kids, a wife, a business. Yep. How close am I on the kids? How many do you have? I uh, dropped zero. We're four. we're at four oh. <laughs> and holding steady. So you're one or two away from being a world champion if you have, go by Hobie and Cody standards. That's interesting. I'll have to think about that one. Could maybe adopt. I don't I don't think we're going natural route anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> so Bracken, why don't you I think a lot of people listening have no we're talking to Ian Caskey today. And I think a lot of our listeners have no idea who the heck you are. And they're about to. Probably not, yeah. This is gonna be a very worthwhile interview, folks. And and Ian's a very under the radar accomplished athlete that I would really like to still break through on a big scene one of these years. And I hope you intend to, but Brad, yeah. why don't you tell the people, tell the people about Ian Caskey. First of all, Ian has never beat me in a race in his life. And we need to establish that right off well, the bat. What about that one where you showed up on Sunday fresh and I did 30 burpees and beat you? What, when did this happen? Oh, Chica- 10 Chicago. minutes from your house. Chicago day two, Bracken. Ah. Wait, what's this talk about showing up fresh? You didn't run Saturday. I did. Ah. <laughs> and you got fourth, and I didn't flip the tire. So, and I still That's beat right. you. That's right. Ian did burpees in a sprint and beat me. Well, I'm so. There's, so there's that. That may be the lowest point of my entire racing <laughs> career. That makes me feel good that I could that I could bring that there for you. 
Can you man. can you read Bracken's screen name, Ian? Can you see that? Oh, I can. Yeah. So I have to I have to amend that now. What is he? What does his screen name say, Ian? Undefeated against Ian. No, that's mine, which is true. Oh, never <laughs> lost to Ian's bitch ass. <laughs> yep. All right. We're going to put an asterisk next to that now. So I have lost. Anyway, Ian's a good old Midwestern boy like us. And he actually is very similar to Kirk and I in terms of our our background at, of running, at least. You were, you were the middle distance kind of fast twitch athlete to begin with. And now you've progressed in your later stages of running career into obstacle racing and even more surprisingly ultra running and being the fact that you are a father a husband you run your own company and you somehow cram in you know 70 80 even longer mile weeks and run ultras i think is a really good opportunity to 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 use that as an example for all of the general people out there who are working full-time jobs and trying to figure out how do i run endurance events and you've had a really successful career with a lot of struggles and I mean that in probably the the nicest way possible. That kind of epitomizes what an endurance athlete career should look like. Outside yep. of the world champions who are freaks of nature, most of us struggle as much as we succeed. And you've had, what, four Spartan race podiums, five Spartan race elite podiums. Like that, yeah. I don't think you've ever finished outside the top 10 in an ultra distance race outside of one world championship where you had raced the world championship race the day prior to doing your ultra. So you're something like 10 or more top 10 ultra finishes. You've had multiple top fives, multiple top threes. And yet um, you're not totally on the radar. And a lot of that has been because of cramps or technical terrain and your inability to train in the mountains. You live in as yeah. flat a place as this planet has to offer in Iowa. So it's, it's just kind of that all encompassing every man act that you're pulling off. And I want to explore that today. Sure. Ian. Go ahead. I want to, I want to start real quick with, um, Bracken mentioned you were the classic fast twitch athlete. You were an 800 meter runner. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. In college. Why did, what, and your PR is fast, like faster than Bracken and I have ever run, I believe. How fast did you run? Uh, 151. And I was in a last chance meet to qualify for nationals. So literally that could have been my last race. <laughs> wow. And how fast did you run the, the 800 in in college? 153, Bracken? 153. Yeah, I was 154, so I was the slowest of you. My 1,500 times got you beat, though. But I want to know this. Um, why? What appealed to you to, to go to the longer stuff? Because we have so many damn shorter, fast-twitch athletes out there. And I want to get to your backstory and all this, but I want to jump right to, like, sure. the low-hanging fruit. And that is why why the transition? Well, and that the long distance is relative too. I went to a small high school where if you ran over a 400, you were an ultra runner because it was a bunch. <laughs> I had 35 kids in my class. So it was the football guys that did track and nobody, a few people did cross country, but it wasn't, you know, it was not a big school. So anybody who wanted to do an 800, like I said, was, was an endurance athlete basically. Um, and I kind of, figured out around probably seventh grade that I was good at running. Uh, and the way that I figured that out was uh, during basketball, we do the the killers where you'd go down and back for, I think we did 20. Mm -hmm. And every time I would, I would be done like three minutes before everybody else and just sitting there, not even breathing hard. So my coach told me, I didn't even realize cross country was a thing then. And he's like, you need to check this out. So 
I started dabbling in cross country with no training, uh, liked it, liked running on courses, um, and then fell into track that spring. And the first time I ran 800 is like, this is, this is awesome. <laughs> Very few people ever think this is well, awesome. Well, it wasn't awesome in the fact that it was like a 400 you can, you can get through, you can tie up the last 50 meters and, and survive, but the 800 you can't fake. So it was pure guts. Even, even in seventh grade, it was, it was cool just to get out there and, you know, kind of see what, who wanted to go into that clean cave. <laughs> so 800 is not an ultra for real. In case yeah. you're wondering. Yeah. So that's where it started. That that was you were doing your version of an ultra by running an 800 meters, and now you transition to real ultras because you learned what they actually are. Yes. Is yep. that how it works? That's pretty no, accurate. Where did that? No, I mean, really, actually, like I think a conversation that Bracken and I have is we were both middle distance athletes. You were probably a little more fast twitch than I was, Bracken, even yet. And then making that jump is like more difficult than people realize to becoming like a successful endurance athlete so i want to know like when and why that jump happened that's was what i natural want. did you just do 10ks and then the half marathon and a marathon and realize oh like, there's something about this long stuff i'll keep doing it or did you know early on i want to do 100 milers someday i definitely didn't know that early on um and you you were actually coaching me when i did my first 50k and that was that was a disaster that was actually the first time i had never bonked in a race and i didn't know what it was until honestly several months later it was more like why are my legs not moving and i remember showing you my my stats i'm like hey i because i cramped up at mile 26 or 25 so my last five miles were with cramps every 400 meters and i remember the last mile i ran in like 830 which is that's like the, the slowest pace i can even run and my heart rate was like 185, which, <laughs> I mean, that, that was, that was the most painful thing I'd probably done up to that point. Uh, but yet I think, I don't know if it's just the enjoyment of pushing myself, but even as bad as that race went, I knew that it was something I wanted to keep, keep trying just to see what I could actually, what I was capable of. My, my take on you as an athlete, and after this, we'll dive into who is Ian Kasky and how did you get to this point? But this is my take on you as an athlete in an ultra race at some point, maybe not in every race, but in most races, most people get to the point where they stop having fun. Whatever reason you have for being out there stops making sense. Your body isn't clicking anymore. And there's basically two reactions to it, maybe three. You either get really happy and you fake it. You have the people that just smile their way through it. And then you have the people that just go to a really deep, dark place. And they, they just have this look on their face where they've kind of exited their body and they're just suffering. And you get that gaunt, hollow, <laughs> miserable, lost look on your face. Except most people, that signifies that their race is done. And you exist in that hollow, gaunt, detached, miserable place as well as anyone I've ever seen. I wouldn't say that you're like a, it's going to sound weird, like a pretty ultra runner. You look at some <laughs> no, people who just laugh and glide their way through it. Like you <laughs> suffer your way through it, but gladly. Yeah. You're the only person I've ever seen get that haunted look on their face, but that I don't have to worry about. No, that, I would agree with that. It's a very strange way of doing it, but it's, to me, it, it symbolizes the idea that, yeah, you do enjoy that suffering because most people leave at that point. Mm-hmm. 
I, I guess I wouldn't say I enjoy it, but I enjoy pushing myself and in, in an area that I know that I can be ex- successful in and being able to go to that point has allowed me to be successful at ultra running, I guess. If it was, if it was some other sport, I'm not sure that it, that I would enjoy it or not, but that's not that I'm looking for accolades, but I, if I was going to go out there and be the guy they clap in to finish, that's, I'm not about that either. If that makes sense. <laughs> makes perfect Although sense. I have been clapped in. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, my question is why does a guy like you, and I do want to dive into your backstory and then I have some specific questions along the way sure. that I think people are going to get a lot out of, but, um, I don't get, why aren't you a sprint athlete? Why aren't you a stadium athlete? Why do you, why do you beat your head against the wall with these ultra events when you know, you probably know that if you just focus on the shorter stuff that you may be in a different place with your accolades, let's say, what's the appeal? Well, I would say if I came in when Bracken did, I would probably have stuck more with the shorter stuff, at least for a while. But I kind of, I think my first race was, I want to say October, 2014 in that area. Um, and the sport was already somewhat established and especially the next starting the next year, the sprint races were starting to get to where you do burpees and you're not just off podium. You're out of the top five or out of the top 10. And I, I don't know that I enjoy pressure, but I, uh, I don't like going into a race knowing that if I screw up once that I'm out of the running or in an ultra, like I did, I think 210 burpees at, uh, the ultra at Tahoe last year. And I still, I think finished fifth. Um, so I never was out of the running, even though I had multiple mistakes, you can still like gut through it, get through it. And, and honestly, that's, I don't know that there's any ultra races that I've done that even the winner hasn't made mistakes or had cramps or, you know, walked like out of pain. So it's, I guess that would be that would be my take on it. Is it's I like having a little bit of wiggle room, if that makes sense. That's an interesting take on it, and I think again it 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 highlights why you do well. Even you and I were in that same race. Mm-hmm. Did one of us drop out? I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> so technically, we're up to two, but I, we won't talk about that. So technically, yes, you beat me twice now, <laughs> and that one was convincingly because I never finished. So I guess the clock's still running. Yeah, But I went in expecting to nail every facet of it. And when things didn't go well, I didn't have a great backup plan where when you did burpees and when you failed things, it was like, all right, knock these out and get back to it. And that that's not a mindset many people can embrace. Yep. No, I, I would agree. Let's, um, let's go back to the beginning with you, man, because when we talked about you know, you're, you as a human, like you're running a full-time business, you're busy as heck, you have a family, yet you're training and doing these, I watch your Strava and stuff, you do long training runs, you do a lot of time on feet, I would consider, I think Mm -hmm. you ran what, like a 414 or 17 mile last year, like on your own in a time trial, just some crazy, ridiculous. On a treadmill, on a treadmill. treadmill. (laughs) Well, (laughs) to me, that means it's easier, honestly. I'd be falling off the back end, I think, still, regardless. <laughs> but um, where did your athletic career start, man? Where uh, Have you always been small-town Iowa boy? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was four-sport, five-sport athlete. Uh, like I said, very small, very small school, which actually allowed me to play football in high school and run cross-country, which wow. was kind of unique. 
my coaches were okay with me not I had to go to football practice but not cross country so if I, I enjoyed the cross country otherwise it wouldn't have worked but I'd come into the season in decent shape do decent and then have to get out the rest of the season and try to keep up with everyone that was actually logging miles while I was doing 100 meter sprints and tackle drills <laughs> how did that work out for you on the state level um I was two seconds from qualifying for state my senior year. I think I ran low 17s, 5K. Um, and honestly, looking back, I probably should have concentrated on it. And I probably could have done more collegially. Uh, but all my friends, uh, all of them played football. So it, was, it would have been hard for me to concentrate on, on just that. But uh, track, track was always my number one sport uh, clear through high school. Um, I qualified, uh, for state as a sophomore kind of randomly, um, and had the greatest coach ever who didn't think anybody was going to qualify for state. So we booked a cruise and <laughs> the next day, so districts were Friday, Monday, he left me a note with a stopwatch and a few workouts to do. Oh, he went on the cruise. Oh yeah. This is the end of the year. So Oh my God. Kids are graduated and all my friends are starting summer. So I'm out on a cinder track. We had a cinder track doing repeats with my own handheld stopwatch <laughs> to prep for state as a sophomore. <laughs> <laughs> and what, 14, 15 year old kid coaching yeah. for state championships? Yeah. So actually, my football coaches stepped up because I needed someone to take me there. I had to stay in a hotel. Like, so they stepped up and, and helped me out got me there, you know, kind of helped with the training. Do you remember what that cinder track workout was that you had to do on your own? That one would stick out in my mind for some I reason. was thinking about this the other day as to how little training I did. Like a big workout back then would have been a ladder, like two, four, six, four, two. Like that would have been, you know, the biggest workout of the year for me. 200, 400, 600, 400, 200. Call it yeah. A day. Yeah. Is this, uh, that's like, the big workout for the year for an 800 runner like it just it was it was ridiculous honestly do maybe uh six by 300 and you're wearing like you know basketball shorts crap yeah basketball shorts crappy running shoes basically running on a gravel road <laughs> starting to make sense though why why ultras appeal to you. you've been on your own since the beginning oh yeah oh yeah this isn't a strange thing to be out there for hours alone for sure yep and actually that same coach was a cross country coach. And he, uh, after my sophomore year, he always had this thing where if you'd run 500 miles in the summer, you, he would get you a jacket with your name on it. And like one person had done it. And I was like, okay, screw it. I'll do it. Not, no direction, just, hey, log 500 miles. So I had 100 days in the summer. It was like five miles a day. Okay, let's do it. So I logged it, had an Excel sheet, gave it to him. And a couple of weeks go by and he's like, you aren't running any better. What's the deal? Well, nobody told me to do anything but slow miles. So I logged 500 slow miles. <laughs> <laughs> so it basically did nothing for, I mean, I had a base, but I didn't do any speed training or anything. But you went from base into football. Oh yeah. Yeah. 500 easy miles into two days. <laughs> Is that not ideal sharpening? Yeah. Yeah. Not a lot of direction in high school, not to put my coaches down necessarily. They're 
like I said, my football coaches ended up being my track coaches and they, they did a good job, but I never, I never had anybody to really run with, um, at practice and I never did anything but sprint workouts. It's kind of like, isn't like small town still kind of the wild west of coaching and training? Sure. Like we, we both went to decent schools, I feel like, Bracken, right? Yeah. And I forget that that there's still some programs where they're just throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Almost every school we competed against, it was a football program that was in the spring on the track. Yeah. <laughs> you know, lift weights, go, go do a one-mile long run. Lift weights, <laughs> one mile, one mile, long. six by hundred, <laughs> six by hundred, one mile long run. You were primed, yeah, and yet you qualified for state, as Bracken was saying. Yeah, so so that, that puts some things in perspective because I did a little digging on young Ian Kasky. Ian Kasky, his senior year, I believe it was your senior year, qualified for state in three events and yep. tripled at state, and on the same day ran fifty-two in the four hundred, one fifty-seven in the eight hundred, and four twenty-four in the mile. Yeah. And actually I, I broke the mile and the half mile or school records from 1975 and I broke them like 45 minutes apart. <laughs> so you went 52, 157, 424 off essentially one mile long run and six by 100. Yeah. And uh, the 424 <laughs> was 45 minutes before the 800. And the only reason I didn't win the 800 is because the another guy had qual- qualified in the mile too to double he decided not to run the mile which was probably a good idea and he he dropped a 155 and broke the state record so hindsight i probably should have just attacked the eight but uh to put some mile perspective in it that year i ran i won conference with a four i think 47 went to districts won that with a 434 which is a that was another pr and then dropped 10 seconds at state i think i got third in the mile it was a big that we had three guys under 424 for really small school that was like an unheard of year that's wow. crazy and then yeah. that's still like your big workout would have been like the 24642 ladder yep. like as a miler so you had no foundation to prepare for a triple at state no no i had ran before before that conference district state thing i had ran the mile at a meet once or twice that was like a marathon. Like I never, I never concentrated on the mile, which looking back, you know, after I get through college is like my co if I would have had any sort of a coach, he would have been like, you were going to be a mile specialist. Even at college, I should have been a 1500 guy. You should have been on a, you, if you had the appropriate coaching and the appropriate guidance and steering you to, I don't know, like grow your talents. You should have been on a full ride scholarship to probably a D one college. You'd have been a 412 miler in high school with training. I know, but I wouldn't be here talking to you right now either. That's true. I'd be, I'd be beat up. My body would be beat up. I'd be 220 pounds watching <laughs> the the Olympic world records try in a marathon or something. I wouldn't. I probably wouldn't still be running, honestly. No. Your diet isn't that bad to be 220, Ian. Don't kid us. Well, right now it's not, but if I had went to a D1 school and got burned out, it could be. It's possible. So these, <laughs> these breadcrumbs keep dropping in front of us. Yeah. That year that you ran Spartan Race World Championships and the next day ran the Ultra Championships, these start yep. to make sense. Whereas if you were tripling and running mile 800 within 45 minutes of each other with no training at the state meet in high school, 
your mindset's starting to get set in already for, yeah, of course I'll double back to back days. Of course I'll go out. Yeah. Those are, those are my favorite, favorite meets is yeah. Let's, let's try to run the thousand and score some points at conference in college. Like I know I can jog a, I don't know what it was, a two thirty-five and, and pick up a couple points and then do the 800 20 minutes later and try to try to win it if I can. Mm-hmm. <sighs> it's tough when you listen to podcasts and the host constantly bring it back to themselves, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm doing it again because I feel like this is a valid point to make, to compare the yep. mindset of yourself and myself. My senior year in high school, I qualified in the 3,200 meter relay, the four by 800, um, the mile and the two mile, same kind of thing. I hadn't run more than one, two mile that year, got to yep. our sectional meet, made it through regionals, made it to our sectional meet and had to close hard in the four by eight, ran the mile, like maybe 25 or 30 minutes later and yep. crumbled the last lap, didn't qualify and dropped out of the two mile, didn't even start it because I knew I couldn't do well in it. Yep. Whereas you didn't even have that thought in your mind. So I didn't make it to state individually. And you just thought, all right, let's go do it. And you got it done. Yep. Is that any different uh, than 20 years later, 15 years later, me dropping out of the ultra in Tahoe and you just grinding through 210 burpees? Probably not. Yeah, that's fair. You know where I earned my respect for you, Ian, is it was my first year in the sport and I ran Tahoe and I believe you ran Tahoe as well. Yep. You weren't you weren't part of that road trip over midnight to Tahoe like Garrett Tall used to no. do. Okay. No. Well, we got out of the swim and we were both suffering pretty bad. We're Midwest guys and we were kind of back and forth a little bit. I don't know if you recall. Oh yeah. We were both started cramping. <laughs> we got out of the swim and we had an eight foot wall and an eight foot wall might as well have been an eighteen foot wall put yep. right after the swim. And you're laying on your back, screaming like somebody shot you in the face. <laughs> just holding your legs. You were rolling on the ground like you were run over by a truck, screaming like I've never heard a guy scream, other than Ryan, other than when Ryan Kempson dropped the Atlas stone on his finger in <laughs> oh, Minnesota. Yeah. That echoed through the woods pretty hauntingly. But, anyways, and I got over the wall after cramping a few times. We're laying there in our own like misery. And I think I get over before you and and I'm pretty sure you just hobbled down the mountain and it was absolutely miserable. I remember how miserable you were after that race. Yep. And then at 5 a.m. the next morning, you were up with a headlamp on your head out to do the ultra <laughs> on a body that you said you were so sore you could barely like put your socks on. Oh, yeah. And you, said, and you said, you know what? Fuck it. I'm here. And guess what? You went out and completed the damn ultra a day after full on body cramps with no right being there. And there you were freezing cold doing the ultra. And I remember even watching you walk to that start line in the dark. And I was like, that dude, it's so screwed. Oh yeah. We've all woke up the day after a big, crampy, miserable beatdown, and had that feeling that I have to use the railing to walk downstairs. I'm going to need about a week before I should try <laughs> jogging again. Yep. And Ian feels that and says, all right, I think I could get 31 miles done today. Well, to be fair, I hadn't done that yet. So I didn't know if I could, but I... <laughs> was there and I had paid for it and it was that or watch everybody else. So I was like, screw it. I'll go till I can't. And then after that, I've done that. I don't know, 10 times, not that exact setup, but if I hadn't, if I hadn't done that, I might not have done that again, or I might not have went for a hundred mile race. Cause I would have had that fear of, okay, what happens when I legit can't move my legs anymore? Well, you do that five or six times, you understand that maybe it takes 10 minutes, maybe it takes two hours, but eventually 
as crazy as it sounds, you're going to be able to jog again and not, you'll feel like shit, but not, it's, it's just crazy what your body compensates for. Mm-hmm. I remember the look on your wife's face that morning. I think she was there with you. And I, it was like this look of like, I may never see my husband again <laughs> on her face. I just, I don't know why that moment sticks out for me. Um, we we had a mindset episode this week about kind of being mental tough, mentally tough and breaking through barriers. And um, I still want to get back to your high school, college transition, and we sure. will, but we're on the topic. Um, what, what, where does it come from, man? Where does your, where does your want or ability or ignorance to suffer come from i can tell if anybody wants to do it if you want to have a task to to teach you how to do it and this is something i fell into too um i have done roofing not full time but off and on since i was about 14 or 15 and i did it for quite a while for other people as an employee and we had a hailstorm come through i think my senior year of high school or maybe my freshman year of college. And my uncle actually had a ton of rental properties that got damaged like 20. And he's like, here's the insurance claim. If you want to do them, do them. So it was either go make 10 bucks an hour for the company that I've been working for or do a house completely on my own and maybe make, I didn't know what I would be able to make, but I knew it'd be more. So I spent a whole summer doing roads completely by myself where you get up at six, grab a pitchfork, crawl up to the peak and just start chipping. <laughs> and everything that falls on the ground needs picked up and thrown into whatever, a dumpster, dump truck, you know, three, four, 5,000 pounds of shingles laying on the ground and it's the middle of August and 100 degrees in Iowa. So I did that for a whole summer and honestly went from making like three grand to say 10 because I was doing it on my own. And as much as it sucked, A, it made, I mean, 10 grand when you're 19 or 18 is a shit ton. So that part was great, but it also, it made me realize that I could do it either on my own or, you know, start a company and that it one way or another, I would be able to figure out how to get it done. But that feeling where it's 12 o'clock and it's like, okay, it's lunchtime, eat lunch, come back to the roof everything's still where it was. There's no other, there's no guy that stayed there to pick up the trash or a guy to haul up the bundles of shingles or a guy to nail them. It's when it's just you, it's like, it's either you do it or it fucking rains and the roof leaks. (laughs) So, so that, I think I look back on that a lot as, and, and there was even some instances where I filled up a dump truck, a crappy dump truck that someone let me use and it wouldn't work wouldn't run so i had to unload the fucker into another truck by hand (laughs) and that's something where like what i can't remember the name of the movie it's uh it's where the guys it's like unbreakable and the guy's in prison and one of his punishments is they have this pile of rocks and he has to move it from a to b and it's like this big defining moment in the movie and i'm looking at it like that's monday (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's doable. Like this is punishment. So that, I think that in a lot of ways shaped, shaped me as a person mentally, physically, obviously physically it was, it was daunting, but mentally just like showing up to a job site or a race, like, okay, here it is. Now, how are we going to do it? Not, not so much worried about what if this, what if that, 
What if I get tired? You know, just figure it out, get through it. No task is too daunting. Exactly. Turn your mind off off and just go. Or even search for something that is, what, what is the point where I can't do it? What, you know, is it going up and down the mountain of Tahoe 30 miles? Could I have done it 60? I don't know, probably. So, and that's where I got in, at, you know, after Tahoe, that's where I was like, okay. And I think of the majority of endurance runners run into the same thing. Like, where's my limit? When, when is my breaking point? And then after you do it for so long, it's like, maybe I don't have one. So maybe I should pick events that I'm not going to risk my life. Maybe I shouldn't do a 48 hour race. <laughs> you know, maybe I shouldn't run across the desert or across whatever. Maybe I should just stick to stuff that I know that I can physically get through and not have to take a week of work off of. It's a different mindset. It's the kind of thing that you look at in other people's books or speeches and writings and think, ah, oh, I'd love to have that. But how many people would trade for that mindset in, you know, 100 days of 12 to 14 hour days of mm-hmm. physical labor with no one there to keep you accountable? These yeah. things don't happen by accident. I would agree. Did you train? Did you train during those summers? Because that was in college, you said. I, this is, goes back to coaching. They, they would email us a plan and no accountability. So I, I probably ran a hundred miles if that most summers. I was not logging miles. So I, I would in college for cross country, the first two to three weeks was me just getting into, into shape again. So I'd get my ass kicked, you know, by whatever freshman came in. I mean, I, I typically was, uh, Cornell, this college I went to is a smaller college. We, they didn't have a recruit. It's no scholarship. So it wasn't like the A team by any means. Um, you went to where, sorry? What, what's Cor- Cornell College in Mount Vernon. It's, a, it's not in the Iowa Conference anymore. It used to be. Not the, not the Andy Bernard Cornell? No, no not the fancy <laughs> university, no. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, it was a smaller college. And you could get away with not running any mileage because there was no accountability. Everybody was there because they wanted to be there type place. So mm-hmm. yeah, I didn't, I didn't train at all. Almost even through my senior year, just because I was working, um, I trained very little, unfortunately. And yet you had some success. You know, you ran 151, you got down to what, 2605 in cross country. Yep. And what happened in between those? Did you have college, uh, collegiate, and national success? Uh, how, how was your college career handled? Um, I, I'm pretty happy with it. I, it definitely could have been better. Um, it would have been better, honestly, if I would have went to a little bigger school. But at the same time, I might not have been able to, to double in cross country and track. Um, I had some conference success, some all-conference se- several times. Um college or cross country I was all conference uh, my senior year and then track I was all American 800 indoor my senior year and then outdoor uh, I qualified for nationals and being an entrepreneur decided to work up until the day before and jumped off of a ladder and sprained my ankle like 24 hours before my last race so Unfortunately, I I was poised to probably go sub 150, and this is all this is all just you taking my word for it. But I was ready to go sub 150 and try to try to win nationals, um, but that kind of fell apart. And the funny thing is, the guy that I was 
going to try to beat was Nick Simmons. He was a really? freshman, I think, that year. So what year? What year were you? That would have been two thousand four. So we were, Grace. We were racing, and we might have been at the same national. Yep. Meets. The indoor was actually at, I think, Whitewater. Yeah, I was at Whitewater. I was injured that year, but um, I'd run nationals the year two years prior. But okay, I was just curious. So we're in the yep. same. We're in the same time frame. I uh, told the line against Nick Simmons, not knowing I had yep. not a shot. Yeah, I remember yep. those days. Yeah, I, uh, I didn't know who he was in indoor and in prelims. I went out to lane to pass people to in you know in the qualifying heat, go out to lane two and start to try to pass people on the third or the fourth lap, like 150 to go. And some little kid punk jumps out in front of me, and I got to go out in lane three. So we battled down. He, I think I beat him potentially. I honestly don't remember. I just remember battling down the home stretch. Like, who the fuck is this guy? And then later on, I see that he won the 800, the 1500. Like, obviously, he turned out to be an Olympian. And but at that time, it was like, who is this kid? Because he's not a he's not a big intimidating guy by any means. Well, that's cool mm-hmm. that you got to race against him. So yeah. you, you roll your ankle, you don't get to take advantage of the fitness you had built up. Was there any part of you that considered post-collegiate track at least to try to break that hundred, that uh, 150, 800 meter barrier? I, I, I did really think about it for a while. Uh, Cause that would have been, it was 2004. Um, so part of my mind was what would it take? Cause I knew I couldn't qualify for, Right, there's no way I was going to be able to qualify for the Olympics that year. I wasn't in that kind of shape or that kind of athlete, but do I want to spend four years training, you know, and I didn't even have direction. It was just, I, I knew that it might, because I think at that time, maybe 145 could have got you to the trials. And I had, I had always dropped a, a minimum of two seconds per year since I was in seventh grade. So it's mm-hmm. like, okay, if I can get down to 149, 147, 145 like I'm in the hunt but I was what 22 my wife still had two years of college left or she wasn't my wife at that point but and I had my business was started and going well I had I had actually started my business my junior year of college it's like do I want to pause my business pause basically my life to pursue this or do what everybody else does I get I mean not exactly, but, and it, it just came down to the time commitment was just going to, and I didn't, if I had a coach there, you know, if I was at university of Iowa or a bigger school where they're like, Hey, you need to just, you need to just train 20 hours a week and then hit it hard 2012. I probably would have done it, but I didn't, I didn't have that, which honestly probably worked out better for me. I'm sure it worked out better for me. Um, but I, it, it was something that at the back of my mind for sure. Because mm-hmm. I had never, I if I had ran my last race and got my ass kicked and got second place or got tenth place, then I at least would have had that closure, I guess. Mm-hmm. But I think that's part of the reason why uh, when Spartan did come around, I mean, I had kicked around with road races post collegially, but nothing. I was not training when Spartan did come up and I ran one and it just demoralized me. It was like that. There's something here. This. I could feel like the something to push me again competitively. It was just like a magnet. Like I got to start doing this. That's the trend, right? The people who leave college or high school, wherever their last competition venue was on with unfinished business, 
there's they seem to be drawn to the trail the ultra the obstacle course racing the mountains when you've when you've expended everything you have to expend there's not a lot of desire it seems for people to go out and and hurt themselves more yeah well and before before i go off track here with the track of it uh i did run prelims my the last race i got my ankle to where i could walk and i was like screw it i'm here i'm gonna i'm gonna run it and the frust the most frustrating part for me wasn't just that i it wasn't that i couldn't run like i wanted to but i was i was able to run a 155 that day on my on my heels like i didn't i couldn't even sprint and i jogged in a 155 so i knew like i was in the ex- in the best shape that i possibly possibly could have been in and i just left it like i couldn't access it and that was so frustrating and that yeah that that definitely haunts me <laughs> so you hobbled a 155 i hobbled a 155 yeah yep just the feeling of running on spikes with the spikes not hitting the track <laughs> <laughs> oh that's bizarre <laughs> it's good to leave college hungry though because oh yeah i'll tell you what i know a lot of you know we we all ran with a lot of collegiate athletes and if you really look at who's still doing something and who's not tends to be the ones who left a little bit hungry a little bit yep. disappointed a little bit left on the table that are still out here pursuing something worth their time and yeah and so i have a similar story where i my I had my last my senior year taken away from me and I don't know if I'd be pursuing this or even being on this podcast right now if it wasn't for still not being satiated. And for there's sure. something to say about that, isn't there? For mm-hmm. sure. So what happened with your transition then after college into athletics and eventually Spartan Race? And then I have a, a burning question for you. Sure. But what uh, what was that transition like? You get lost for a few years in work? It sounds um, like you're kind of a workaholic, Ian. <laughs> I definitely did work a lot. Um because my wife was still in college and she ran track and cross country to at, at Cornell. I didn't realize that you were Yeah. So I still had, she was actually a good 800 runner, 400 runner too. I, I still had that connection with the team. So I, I dabbled a little bit with like volunteer coaching, uh, more or less cause I wanted to hang around my wife more. Uh, so I did kind of train the next year or so after college, but nothing substantial. Um, just enough to keep me in good enough shape that I could go run like a 1630 and pick up some hardware at some local 5Ks, but not nothing, you know, crazy. Uh, and I did that for a couple years and just the same way as I would have run at state and run a good mile with no training for several years after college, I could take a month off of running and come back and still run a 1630. So I didn't have a real reason to waste my time with training when I had so much other stuff to do, but waste eventually when you own your, if you, anybody that has owned their own business, like, especially I got to where I had a partner at that time, business partner, and we got to where we had probably 15 employees and everybody's got health insurance and workman's comp and trucks and all that. So making sure that they all get paid and the bills get paid. And then the last thing on the list is your mortgage and like food. Then training comes way at the bottom of the list, especially when I started my family. Uh, Cause then it was like, it was a luxury. I don't even know that I wanted to train. I, 
I like to run and race, but I never, I never liked to train really, um, through all high school, college. I just like to race. Uh, and again, that's when I finally did stumble across Spartan or Pond Spartan and realized that I liked it. Then it became, I actually had a reason to train. And after several months of training, I realized I actually liked training and liked the easy runs and trails and, you know, push-ups and pull-ups and grip strength work and all that stuff. And I had never, I'd never enjoyed that before. So I just never really did it, honestly. It's, it's interesting that it takes finding the right setting to enjoy the process. I think that Kirk and I have talked about this many times that I only trained to race. Mm-hmm. It was a torture to get me out the door for training. But if it meant that I could compete, sure, I'll do it. And somewhere along the way, you find trails and you find the beauty and easy running and suddenly life gets more enjoyable. For sure. But it's such a running is such a punishment in our sports culture. Yep. You screw up, take a lap, run a line, run a suicide. That <laughs> that it, it's really hard to even convince yourself that it's okay to really love running because it's a negative aspect to a lot of our culture. For sure. What was that first humbling experience that, uh, again, kept you thirsty, which seems to be a theme here with you? So what was that race? Um, well, it was kind of a random race because I had done a few warrior dashes, which at that time were, were very uncom- non-competitive type races, unless you were Bracken. <laughs> is that a is challenge? That a <laughs> well, I, the funny thing is, and I actually sent Bracken a picture of this like a few years ago, uh, the first warrior dash that I actually decided to run instead of just running with my friends, I went out and I think I even led it for a while. And then I remember like 600 meters in some guy passing me and like, who the hell is this guy? And then I think he beat me by two or three minutes. I think I got like third place and I look at the results and it's like Brock and Crocker, like who is this foreign asshole that came from Wisconsin (laughs) to run this race? Like it didn't even make sense to me. Well then a few months later, or maybe a couple months later, I had signed up for a hard charge. There was a hard charge race that was supposed to be in Des Moines. And that com- that company went out of business and Spartan did one of its marketing things where they sent out to the email list, hey, here's a free Spartan race. And I had no idea what Spartan ra- what race was, but it was an obstacle race. And it's like, well, that looks fun. It's free. So I signed up for the Marcel's was the old location. I signed up for that Chicago Spartan. And the night before I'm sitting in the hotel, like, "Eh, I better look and see like what the obstacles are going to be like, you know? So I, I look it up online and it's like talking about burpees. I'm like, what is a burpee? I'm at, I'm literally laying there like nine o'clock at night asking my wife, like, what's a burpee? And Mm I, she's like, you don't know what a burpee is. (laughs) So I Google it and I'm, I'm like YouTubing it and watching it and trying to do one in the hotel room the night before, like, holy shit, these are hard. Like two is hard. Like I hadn't done push-ups, pull-ups, anything. So, but I'm like, well, I can do them not knowing that 30 was the penalty. So then I get to the race and I don't even remember what the first obstacle I failed was. I think it, it might've just been the spear. Do 30 burpees. It's like, wow, that's, that's intense. And then go to another obstacle, maybe Z wall, fall on that, do 30 more. And 
got to the, I remember getting to the rope climb and it was in the water. Like you had to slide down a little muddy bank into the water and the ropes are all muddy. I tried, I maybe got two feet up, couldn't do it, fell down, could barely crawl out of the, out of the mud pit and went over to the little 50 yard swim. And if they hadn't had a life jacket, I would have been toast. Like I couldn't, I couldn't even move my arms and then get through the swim. There's a six foot wall that took every ounce energy and like three tries just to get, get a foot hooked, barely get over that. And then they had the, I think it was the A-frame. I can't remember the one with the rope where you have to climb up, pull the rope to get over slip wall. That took me like at least five minutes and it just, I, it was all I could do to get up it and got done with the race. And I think it took me like 50, 50 minutes or something. And it was like the most pain and suffering I had ever gone through in my life. And I don't remember what I placed at like 12, 16, something like that. But I look at the results and it's like that goddamn Bracken crackers back here. <laughs> and Bracken had won the race. I'd never seen him. I didn't see him during the race, but uh, that's where I actually like, well, this guy's legit. He didn't just show up at one. Like he's legit. Um, and then after that, leaving the venue, they're hand- handed out flyers and it's a flyer for the Spartan cruise. And I threw it in the car like, well, that looks cool. Just like, I'm not, I'm not that serious. Well, then a few months later, the, they sent out an email, I'm assuming because they didn't have enough people. Hey, it's Spartan, Spartan cruise is 50% off now for the next three days or whatever. So I ended up talking my wife into doing the cruise so that the Spartan cruise in Bahamas, that was my second Spartan race. And really? yeah. And actually I'm assuming because there was everybody in their dog that was good came there. I didn't even get, I didn't even get in the elite heat. I had to run open. I didn't realize that. Yeah. And then I lobbied Spartan. I'm like, Hey, I, I'm trying to get points this year. Like, is there any way you can take my time and, and put it in the mix for the elite? And I think it got me like 12th place or something. Somewhere in there. Stacked field too. Yeah. And that was with me waiting at obstacles, you know, to get through them. But yeah, that was my, that was my first big race experience. And I remember just being on the boat, not knowing all the people, but knowing them now, like, holy shit, these are legit athletes. Like this, these aren't like mid thirties, 5k guys that can do pushups. Like there's some kick-ass athletes here. (laughs) Let's talk about this Spartan cruise for a second, okay? Because I always hear it like thrown around this Spartan cruise. I know I you don't strike me as the Spartan cruise type of guy, Ian, but I'm kind of impressed. You with don't it. know Abby. I yeah. don't know Abby very well, no. Which unfortunately she was pregnant at the time and got okay. seasick the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 and wasn't Lisa pregnant at the time too, Bracken? Lisa had just we had given Lisa had given birth maybe three maybe six weeks prior to the so she, they didn't even let her go um, so she she flew down with us and then we boarded and she went to her aunt's house because they wouldn't let the, the baby was too young to go on the boat <laughs> well i want to hear about this cruise all right we got two cruise veterans here and there's like this is like one of those like 
legends stories that everybody still talks about and nobody, I don't understand what really happened on this cruise. Can anybody tell me what happened on this Spartan cruise? What was this really like? First, you have to know the buildup. Joe did one of his things where he's like, we're going to buy a cruise ship and we're going to cruise to the Bahamas and do a race (laughs) on a private island. And it didn't sell. They didn't buy the ship, but they rented out the ship and it did not sell. And so then they started doing promotion after promotion. It got to the point where uh, for protein members and things like that, they were giving it away. So we paid uh, port taxes and that was it. Mm. I think I paid $59 to go on a three-day cruise. I ate that much day one. You know, So it, it was like they just started bringing in whoever they could get. Yeah. So you had this chunk of people there who were there to compete. You had probably... 15 of the top 25 guys in the world all came on the ship. And then you had the age group people who were all serious. And then you had people who were just there to rip up and have an awesome (laughs) time on a cruise. Was it advertised as a party? I don't think so. Joe thought it was going to be serious people, Spartans wanting to improve their life. And he invited Men's Fitness on board to write an article about it. And they skewered Spartan for the bro culture and people being <laughs> hammered everywhere. The only athlete they interviewed was Hunter. <laughs> it, was, it was it was a mess on the ship. Isn't like, okay, if anybody knows anything about this damn sport, it's a bunch of type A thrill seeker personalities who are addicted to the rush. That may or may not include alcohol at times, folks. That may or may not include making some poor decisions once in a while. So I could have predicted that a mile away. Joe and several Spartan staff were so embarrassed on night one when there were like 45 people in a 10-person hot tub just screaming and (laughs) beer floating all over the pool. It was just a a – it was a college party building up to a race. Has anybody ever gotten together after Spartan World Champs with the pro team and see what really happens? You know what that party is like. Yeah, it's out of control. So it wasn't what Joe thought. And they took a bath on it and he was embarrassed about it. And then it was an incredible race. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, what was that race like then? Let's talk about that too. Well, I I saw it from the open perspective. So it it was not a normal Spartan race for me, but the venue itself, I mean, it was, you, you literally took a small boat from the big boat to the island. So there wasn't like, I think they maybe had a merch tent set up, but it was really low key. Uh, there wasn't very much, you know, there wasn't a, a huge line of porta potties. It was just a couple. So like the venue itself was pretty low budget, pretty low key, which mm-hmm. is kind of cool. Um, and then it was just a ton of like beach, beach running mixed with short open swims and then you, jungle trails. Yeah. The jungles. Like I had never been in anything like that. Uh, it was legit, just like machete through the jungle trail. Super it was rough. So twisty and single track, and yeah. But there was outside of the little patches of jungle, it was barren, and half of it was concrete because it was yeah. an old base, <laughs> and everything was delayed because they couldn't get the the landing parties there fast enough because they were just shuttling back and forth on a boat, and they'd take a wave up. And so it was delayed maybe forty five minutes, and it's already eighty five degrees at seven in the morning and there's no shade yeah everyone's just dying out there and then it turned into one of the most competitive sprints i've ever seen i paid the whatever 10 bucks on the beach to get like a beach umbrella for my wife and we had two of our kids there (laughs) so and that was like the there was maybe 10 of those umbrellas there was like no shade anywhere just beat down 
you know, Miami level sun for, for the whole morning. <laughs> this course starts out and everyone's bottlenecked from the start. And then it opens up and you run along this rocky, craggy beach, go through some sand, do an uphill sand barbed wire crawl. And then you're running across what basically look like lava fields along a little cliff and you get to the edge and there's like a 10 to 12 foot drop into this little inlet. And you just go barreling off the edge of this because you're still in a pack of 30 guys. It's only a half mile into the race into the first swim. And so you jump off a mini, it's not a cliff, but a mini cliff into the ocean water river and you swim and get in and out like five or six times in the first two miles of swim, run up this lava field, jump back in a lot of jumping down into water and climbing up. Mm -hmm. And then you hit jungle trails and then you came out onto some dirt roads for a while. And it was just this bizarre race set on a crappy little private island. Yeah. Yeah. You do pretty accurate. I think I took fifth or sixth. Um, coming out of the water, Isaiah got into first coming out of the water, and we hit the jungle portion, which was about as wide as my shoulders. Isaiah got there and just jammed up everything, would not let anyone pass, and just jammed it up. So four of us came out of it. It was Isaiah, Ryan Atkins, John Albin, and me. And Hunter was about 10 yards behind us as we hit this dirt road, and we all just hit the gas and to get around Isaiah and started racing. So Atkins, Albin, me, Hunter, and then Yatsko right behind them all got to the spear throw and uh, we all missed. <laughs> it was this weird target that was about 20 inches wide, yeah. somewhere taller than others. And like I skimmed the top with mine, I think. Uh, so Albin got out of the, maybe he made it. I don't know. Albin, Kent, and Isaiah were the first three out of burpees and we were, they were gone. So th they must've been the only three that hit and we're all doing burpees. Albin is clear in the lead and takes a wrong turn where it's not really marked. Kent and Isaiah follow behind about 20 seconds behind him. We all finish doing our burpees and take off running. Albin realizes he's off course, turns and runs back to that spot. Isaiah turns right and charges through the jungle until he finds <laughs> tape again. So he cuts a half mile off the course. Kent does something in between the two. And I think Alvin ended up taking third or something like that. And Isaiah won it because he cut a half mile off the course. Yeah. And the rest of us just filed in after our burpees. And see, I missed all that. So I, all I saw was Isaiah run down to the finish. And I'm like, holy shit, this is the greatest Spartan athlete of all time. <laughs> like he just beat all these guys and isn't even breathing hard. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, we ran a 5K. He ran a two and a half mile race. <laughs> <laughs> so where was your uh let's get back to you ian where was your breakout uh when did you when did you really before we move on okay we roasted in the sun all day long we got back to the cruise and it was a rager for the next 12 hours <laughs> on board there everybody let loose atkins was hammered like, you've never seen atkins singing and dancing and like everybody was just after it it was a crazy night. It was one of the craziest nights I've ever seen at a Spartan race. Is that the reason why, like, I can't find any media on this Spartan cruise? Is it I all think Joe destroyed it all. <laughs> <laughs> I just found the sport too damn late. I and guess. you left the port of Miami, and within a half hour, you were in this dead zone. There was no cell service. You could pay mm -hmm. like $20 a day for Wi-Fi that barely worked. So no one got any real media out there. Because your phone would die in two hours of constantly searching for satellites. So everyone just kept their phones off. And it was it's like he went back in time. <laughs> that actually reminds me exactly of being on The Bachelor. But 
we're going to go back to Ian. So, <laughs> so uh, Ian, where, when did you, uh, where were your first breakout races? Um, I honestly don't remember exactly. I, I know probably a month after that cruise is when I reached out. I figured out Bracken through a really crappy website that he actually coached. And I think it was when you were living in Colorado. So I got your email and emailed emailed you. And I think it was uh, a couple weeks after that, you sent me some some workouts. And that, that would have been uh, early 2015. Um, and then just within a week of that is when uh, Leaderboard Apex training started. So I went from basically no training to Bracken giving me workouts for a few weeks to the the leaderboard style with with other athletes and that was probably the best thing that could happen to me because I I just training on my own out in Iowa was tough enough in its own I mean I had a I had a group that I ran that I had started running with but they were not OCR people um, but they were trail people which was great because that got me on the trail scene um, but as far as OCR if I hadn't got hooked up with Bracken, it would have been a tough road for sure. Uh, and Kirk, you know, you came into it a, probably a month or two after that, but there was actually just, it popped up on my Facebook memory the other day of the first year in Tahoe, like uh, some really good runners that just randomly ended up being in that group. Um, you know, for Forrest and Kirk, obviously Garrett who lives right by me, uh, and that just that little bit of competition and we were all kind of new to it too. So just learning how to train, what to do to train and, and being able to throw stuff back and forth definitely, definitely helped spur, spur some competition. Coming from like being a runner and training as a runner, um, what was the biggest changes that were made to your training to help you be successful about the program or what you did? Um, consistent consistency, for sure. Uh, and not just in realizing how important the easy days were, uh, not just doing three hard days and, and four legit do nothing days. Um, and that's where Bra having a coach and having somebody like Bracken to be like, you know, go run three or four miles today, easy, like, and have an accountability for it. That just building that base for three to six months there was huge. And I had never, well, just from what I described to you from my training before, I'd never had that. So once, once I could feel that base kick in and, and, you know, start comparing time trials and stuff like, holy shit, this, it actually does work. Like it's not just filler time. Like that's legitimately, I know now that that's probably the most important thing I can do is maintain that base. And I had never, I had never even thought about contemplated that at all in training up until that point and that that i think was a big key in in becoming successful in all the different you know sprint through ultra for sure to your credit ian oh first of all it's crazy that you can come out of high school and college track and cross country without having that trajectory in life it just goes to show like the lack of real institutional success we have throughout the country there are yep. powerhouses and then there are just these dead zones of running. But to your credit, <laughs> you are kind of like the, again, the ultimate every man's runner where a lot of people that we work with 
have jobs and kids and yeah. all you ever hear is, oh, I didn't get to it today. I didn't get to it. I was so tired. It's just not even smart for me to, and you know, they're just feeding themselves lines sure, and they don't truly even believe it. And I don't know if they expect us to believe it, but you just had, all right, I'm going to get on the treadmill if that's what I have to do. And if it's 10 at night or four in the morning, whatever it was, you, we didn't ever get negative feedback from you. You just got it done. Yeah. That's and tough that, as a father, as a wife, or as for a sure. full-time worker to just get it done when it's not a glamorous, for it's sure. just a 60-minute run. It's not a quality day. I can let it slide. It's 9.30 at night. The kids finally stopped screaming. That's an easy time to brush it aside. And you never did that. It, it didn't appear from our side. No. And I, I would say after probably four to six months of consistent training, that was... I. I felt like shit at the end of the day if I didn't get an hour of workout of some or even 30 minutes of some kind. And and that's how it, it is now. It's, I mean, it's been like that for five years where it's like there's a hole in my day if I don't get out there and at least do a 30 to 60 minute easy run. Mm-hmm. And, and I look forward to it. Like that's my, it's become my like, just how sometimes people take a shower and, you know, get their thoughts put together for the day. I want to go for a run, turn, turn my phone off if possible, put on a podcast, whatever, and just zone out, clear my head and decompress a little bit. And that even way more than the racing perspective of it has been huge for me. Just, I never knew that about myself or that that was something that I needed. But once I figured it out and found it, it's like, it's a huge beneficial outlet for me. Uh, just to, you know, get through the daily grind, especially with four kids and a business. <laughs> well, how do you juggle it all? When are you, uh, it's got to happen in the morning or it doesn't happen yet? Or? Because I own my own business, I have a little bit more flexibility. I mean, obviously I'm busy, but I can try to uh, set some time aside every day and hopefully in consistent times to get in a run, get in a workout. Um, and a lot of the the last few years, um, I, I do subcontracted work for Lowe's, as you can see, um, not an employee, but, uh, I do work for within about a three hour radius of here out of 10 different stores. So a lot of my summers are take, take a dump trailer, drive to wherever, two hours away, get the guys set up for the day. And then I've got some free time waiting for them to finish up a job where I can go hit a trail or go do a workout for a couple hours if I, if I have the time to do it. And that, that started, it, it went from, cause I've, I've done work for Lowe's since 2007. It went from being a burden to have to drive, you know, two hours away to once I figured out I liked trails and trail running, every place that I would go, I had go-to trails where, okay, I have 30 minutes or I have 90 minutes. Here's where I can go. This place has a shower. This place has a shitter. This place has, you know, fresh water at mile five. Like, and once I got that network set up for myself, then I could just, I actually looked forward to going to the different areas, you know, and hitting consistently hitting the same trails. Uh, and that, that actually has been really beneficial and a, a big part of my training the last few, few years. You mentioned your easy runs and from time to time, we get messages from people that are having a hard time slowing down. So I just want to get yep. an idea. What does an easy 30 to 60 minute run look like for you? Every time you guys talk about it, even without us discussing it, it's exactly, 
the same for me. It's sub 140 heart rate. And I don't even know where your guys' maxes are, but it's it's always been that sub. As soon as I get to 145, I can tell uh, if for some reason I had to stop and take a phone call, I'm going to be a little bit out of breath at 145. So it's, you know, if it's, if it's a recovery, I'm sub 130, right around 130. Uh, if it's the day before a hard workout where I feel good, but I, I just need to keep it, keep it easy. I'll let it go up to 140 or, uh, and one thing Bracken, you incorporated in to some of the workouts is the, you know, finishing fast on a couple workouts or negative splits. Mm-hmm. I'll do that on a lot of easy days too. Like go do 10 miles first five, super easy. And then the last five do a cut down and maybe finish the last mile at six or five thirty pace just to get the blood flow going, get a good mile in, but then I get done and I only jacked my heart rate for five and a half minutes, not mm-hmm. the whole 60. So, and what's an easy pace look like for you? If you're going 130, 135, what does that look like for you? Um, it, it varies. Obviously, if it's on the treadmill, I can hit mm-hmm. 630 and, and maintain 135. But if I'm on a, if I'm on a road, seven minutes, usually right around seven minutes. So you ran 419 last year. Yeah. Right? You, you ran a 419 mile and you're doing seven minute on your easy days. Yep. So okay, just another reminder, I w- I'm not trying to lead you into it, but I do want people to hear that across the board, there's no need to run close to your race paces no. on easy days. And then even so, if even if I do a hard workout, especially on the treadmill, and I'm trying to get in some extra mileage for the week, I'm going to feel like total garbage. I might hit 730 to eight minute, even 830 pace for a two mile cool down and just slog, you know, sweats just pouring off. But I know that a, I want those two miles for the week, but B, that's going to help me feel a lot better the next day. As much as it sucks, as much as like my phone's blowing up, I need to get somewhere like that extra 15 minutes is going to really pay off for me when I go to do another hard workout in three days, instead of just hopping in the shower, hopping in the truck, taking off. And then the next morning I get up, like, I mean, I'm sore every morning the way it is, but I'm way more sore if, if I don't a decent cool down in. I appreciate you sharing that. So I, I want to get to my burning question for you. Ian. Sure. Do you have any idea what it is? I hate to, I hate to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> you might hate to hear this one. Actually. We, I just referred to the, uh, earlier in this podcast or episode we did on Tuesday and talking about, well, if you pick the guys who are statistically fastest on paper to win these races, mm-hmm. um, you know, the races would already be won before it started. For sure. example, Mark Botris or a VJ or a Hobie, whoever can run very, very fast. However, these are not the people who necessarily win all the races. Um, people don't know you very well, but we do. And if I were to put a pure speed, 5K and under, even maybe further, list together of the top Spartan racers in the nation, I think you would make the top 10, Ian. Maybe even better than that. Bracken, I think you would agree. Yes. I think on paper, seeing some of the stuff you do is absolutely astounding. Watching you go run a fast mile, watching your interval splits, watching what you're doing in training. I've seen you in Alabama, the U.S. National Series, lead the damn race with others in the beginning and then disappear. Mm -hmm. I've seen you stick your nose in some big races and run well and then disappear. Those guys that are beating you, Ian, are not running as fast as you are in a mile. They're probably not running as fast as you are in a 5K. Yep. 
So what I want to know, and I think there's a lot of people in your boat, everybody's trying to figure out this OCR game, how to keep the highest percentage of their work rate available during a race. Ian, what the hell's missing, man? <laughs> what, what do we got to do so you can shine through? Because That's a, we did, we, I'll let you go in a sec, but we did an interview with like Morgan Schultz a few weeks ago. Yeah. And, and she's a girl that we think is going to break through and she's going to be a common household name here coming up. And damn it, Ian, you're one of those guys who should be and you're not. And so I just feel like to build your credibility, but also to pry you a little bit, like the people need to know you're very capable. But my confusion lies in why it hasn't happened yet. That's a good question. Honestly, I don't I don't have a good easy answer. Uh, part of it's a little bit of bad luck during the race and some stupid burpees. Part of it is uh, probably being too nervous leading into the race. Um, and just being a little bit too intimidated, you know, there's been times where, yeah, I've ran and up with some, some of the top guys for a decent amount of time. And I get that a little bit of like, holy shit, did I go out too fast? Am I going too hard? Like what's going on? Um, and I don't think I have that as much anymore, but I also haven't, nobody's raced this year. So I don't, if we had a race right now, I don't know where I, where I'd stack up, honestly. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I, I know it's the it's gotten so competitive and everybody trains so much now that I think I'm probably hitting 98% of what I need to hit to be in the, on a podium. But that last little 2% where it's, you know, an extra three to four hours a week on grip strength or uh, the the stuff, the, t- the last 2% that takes half of the time, you know, yeah. and not as an excuse, but I don't have the, I don't have the luxury of doing that much work or taking that much time or or being super anal about my diet or sleep or, (laughs) uh, or I mean, there's big races that I don't even get to because we have a soccer game that weekend or whatever. So, and, and maybe that's a little bit of it too. Like when I finally do get to a big race, it's like, holy shit, this is my one or two of the year. I better make it count. And then for whatever reason, haven't put my, you know, complete a race together. Do you think you would change anything about your training? Like, is there anything you need to rework there based on your life? Well, to be honest, two years ago, I would have done, if Bracken wrote down, here's what you need to do to be on the podium. And it was a hundred hours of work that week. I probably would have tried to figure it out. Uh, but as, as competitive as, like I said, it, even the top, top guys, it, it doesn't even take a mistake now. Just, just a little change in terrain or you hit the, tr- the, you know, take the corner wrong and they get five seconds on you. I don't, I don't, uh, lose sleep over not getting those five seconds. I more see it as, do I want to be potentially a good national level quality hundred mile guy or my, my a race. And I told Bracken this, uh, like December, my a race for 2020 was going to be a 24 hour race, whether it was Spartan, if they'd ever do it in the U S which they did this, we're going to this year or the world's toughest mother in Dallas was going to be like, honestly, that I felt like that was going to be, I was going to be on that podium, whether I cramped for 12 hours or not. And that that's kind of like the Alabama sprint type races like as much as I want to do good in those, they're just, you know, to prop me up for the season type race. If I get third or fifth or 10th, 
it's not going to change my life. I'm not going to train differently. But if I can go to World's Toughest Mudder and scare somebody like Atkins for a few hours, that's what's going to get me motivated to train for 2021. And unfortunately, that all went down the crapshoot. <laughs> I think you were set up to do it. Yeah, I think you, I was too. So you did that ultra virus race. Yeah. And I don't think many people know this. So did you take third or second? I took second. And th- what I did wrong, and I've done it several races, is I looked at, well, who did it the fastest ever? Well, Botchus ran 85 miles. Well, I don't know who's going to show up, but it's probably going to take 90 miles. So I set my pace at 90 mile pace for 12 hours, which the world record for 100 miles is like 12 hours. So it's it was... It was a fast pace and looking back, obviously, if I would have known, I think Trevor ran 75, maybe 80. If I would have known I could have won with 80, I would have backed way the fuck off. (laughs) Uh, But instead, I started getting little twingy cramps like mile 25, like what would that have been like five hours in? So then it was like, do we fold up shop and go home? I was doing it on a track uh, five miles from my house. For the full reason, I wanted to win. So I didn't want two feet of elevation. I wanted pancake flat. I wanted my aid station where, like, I didn't want to worry about where my shit was. I wanted to be able to come in and get a drink, get my stuff, and get right back out. Zero elevation. You know, the sunlight's the same. There's no wind advantage anywhere on the course. Like, I just wanted to do everything I could to run the most amount of miles. But yeah, then I started getting crampy at 25. And part of me is like, not my day. Let's just, let's just wrap it up. But then again, it's like, I haven't raced for how many months? Like, what the hell am I going to do? Like go home and watch TV. So let's just, just take it one lap at a time, you know, get through this lap. Okay. Now I feel a little bit better. Okay. Now I feel like shit. Okay. Now I'm cramping again. So (laughs) I think I ended up running 65 miles and the last 40 of it, I was I had solid full-blown uh, hamstring cramps for 90% of it, but figured out that I could run about an 830 mile like that and just, just kept doing it. <laughs> now, I appreciate you not bringing it up, but I also think it's a very unique story. So you have to tell why you cramped so early. What, what did you do in your week leading up to that race? Is that, I don't remember. The honestly. drill bit? Oh yeah. I, uh, Oh yeah. Also I buried a drill bit in my car. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not just like a, like a metal drill, like a, an actual drill bit, like a, a Phillips bit. So like not much smaller than my pinky right into my quad. Actually, I still, I don't know if you can see it on the camera there, that little pink spot. Oh yeah. There it is. Yeah. It looks like a 22 shell, a 22 bullet hole. Yeah. That was like, a couple of days before and it was still pretty sore. I don't know that that necessarily caused the cramping, but I probably compensated a little bit for me. I mean, you started... got stabbed two days before a 12 yeah. hour race. So yeah. it's, it's not your ideal lead in to stab your biggest muscle group prior to a 12 hour endurance race. Bracken, I don't know if you remember before the, I did the hundred mile race in Vienna, Illinois. I'm trying to remember what it's called though. Tunnel Hill. Tunnel Hill. Three days before that, I was loading a stupid ass goat at my farm in a trailer and it tried to run out and I tried to block the door and it gored 
my leg in almost the exact same spot. Like I had a golf ball size bump from that stupid horn. Just your, your classic goat horn injury prior to a hundred mile race. Yeah. And yeah. it felt, it felt like my quad was cramped for 24 hours a day <laughs> leading up. Even the morning of the race is like, well, I'm just, I'm again, I have an Airbnb paid for. I got somebody to drive me out here to crew for me. Philip, thank you. And you'd already bought your vapor flies. Yeah. Yeah. No, they, I had the Hoka, the Hoka Carbon X and I had never even, I jogged around the parking lot the night before and I'm like, these feel good, (laughs) but it's like, what am I going to do? So it's like, screw it. We're just going to do it. And it ended up, honestly, one of my downfalls is I go out too fast a lot of times and that stupid goat horn for that hundred mile race probably, probably saved me a lot of pain in the long run. Cause I went out, I didn't go with the lead group that I was running seven thirty. I, I just stuck to like eight, eight thirty, and ended up, I didn't have a single cramp or any failures for that whole race and ended up running like a sixteen eleven or something for a hundred miles. So when I had the drill bit in my leg, it's like, maybe this will be a good thing. I don't know. Like it's not, I'm not going to not race. So we'll just see what happens. But yeah, I think I probably overcompensated a little bit with some secondary muscles that like I knew I was going to cramp. They just, that was going to happen. But I thought it'd be like mile 50, mile 60, not four hours in a 12 hour race. So that, that kind of dampened the spirits a little bit. <laughs> Kirk, we have 45 years of endurance experience between the two of us. How many athletes have you ever even heard of being stabbed in some way in the leg <laughs> prior to a race and competing? Um, zero. And yet Ian's managed to do it twice, once with a drill and once with a goat. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it, it, you just continue to defy <laughs> how you're supposed to prepare for an ultra. <laughs> well, Who and gets gored by a goat? Honestly, and <laughs> whether this is a good or bad thing, I've always perform my best when I'm the underdog or have like something where it's like that I could look back on and be like, Oh yeah. And I did it. And this, I had this, like I didn't have a shoe or like, I don't search those things out, but those are a lot of times my best race or best performance is when it's like the cards are all stacked against me type race. When I show up to like in college, if I showed up to the conference race and I had the fastest time, I hated it. I didn't want the spotlight on me. I didn't want to be the favorite. I wanted to be the guy that on the last turn smokes everybody. And they're like looking at their paper, like who the fuck is this guy from Cornell? Like I much rather wanted to have that than show up with a gold watch and like a camera crew. Like I didn't like that kind of pressure. I still don't like that kind of pressure. You know, you can, you can find those chips mentally. You don't have to put yourself (laughs) in bodily harm every single time. Yeah, but then there's no coming back from it. You can you can walk yourself back mentally, but when it's when you're physically in that spot, you it's either yes or no. There's no maybe. That's true. You can't un goat gore yourself. <laughs> which which speaking of training, my favorite long runs or shitty long boring runs are out and backs. Cause then mm. you're out there and it's like you're halfway through, you feel like shit, you didn't bring enough food or water. And it's like, well, dumb shit, you got to turn around and go back. 
So what are you going to do? Or if it if you're just doing a loop or something where you have the option to stop, you start feeling like shit, you're probably going to stop or you're really going to have a lot harder time not stopping. Mm-hmm. And yet you don't seem to look for outs. Well, one thing one thing I, I really like doing, and, and Ian and I actually aren't coach athlete right now. I know we've talked about it. We've kind of just connected on training over the past few years, but Ian mm. does his own thing and he's very successful off that. He likes to underplay his accomplishments, but he is, for all practical purposes, he's self-coached for many years. But anyone I do work with, when they run an overnight ultra, I tell them the same thing, which is I'm going to keep my phone on all night. <laughs> and if you need, if you have a bad spot, please text or call me. Sometimes you just need someone to talk you off a ledge. Well, I got a call from Ian during one of his probably worst, lowest points that I've seen him at. But generally when I get the call in the middle of the night, and this was 1 a.m. for me or something like that, 2 a.m., it's someone's asking for permission to quit. They're looking for me to say, you know what? You don't want to hurt yourself. You've put in enough time. This is this was a success. Go ahead, pull the pin. And Ian called for permission to go hurt himself some more. He was in a really low point. He said, <laughs> I, I'm ready to quit. I don't think it's smart. Is it dumb to, to, to go out for another lap? Well, but just you saying that, like, I wasn't, I wasn't paying lip service. I wanted you to tell me I could quit. I was done. I mean, I, I was willing to go further, but I was like, this doesn't, does this make sense? Because it doesn't right. make but sense to me for to. sure. Most yeah, people for are sure. ready to be done. You were willing to, and you didn't know if you had permission yeah. to go hurt yourself yeah. more. And that summed you up to me in the, I was, I'll, I'll never forget that moment. I was in Spain. It was, it was in Christmas. Uh, we were visiting my sister over in this tiny little mountain town and I hadn't had a reception or, or the ability to make a call. And in, at like one in the morning, <laughs> Ian Caskey's phone call comes through. You know, it was just meant to be. And I went out on the balcony and we could barely hear each other, but he's sitting is in December in nine inches of snow trying to run a hundred mile race, telling me that nothing's working on his body anymore, but he thinks that he probably could go longer. And that's never left me, Ian, because you were the person that didn't ask for permission to quit. You asked for permission to maybe do something dumb. <laughs> well, and it, it was more like, I literally, I think was at mile 49 coming into mile 50 was the, the heated, it was a 12 and a half mile loop. So that was my heated spot to change shoes or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like, I couldn't, my quads were blown and the course was, it's got 25,000 feet of gain. So it's literally up down in the mm-hmm. snow. And I'm like, I can only run the flats and there's like less than a mile of flats per loop. So I'm walking up and I'm walking down the hills with trekking poles. Like, and it's 10 degrees. Like, is it smart for me to go out for another loop? Because like I was going, I was, I knew I was going to be walking the majority of the next 50 miles. And if it hadn't been a loop, if it had been like 50 miles with no contact, I definitely wouldn't have done it. But it was, uh, it was probably stupid, but that was the first hundred mile race I did. And it's like, if I ever want to do this again, I need to see what it feels like, how, how I'm going to feel how I'm going to recover, which my plan was to go to work the next day. And I ended up laying on the couch for three days, pissing in a milk jug. (laughs) (laughs) Like I could not move. I had to get a walker. Like, but then again, I've done, I did another hundred mile, probably eight months later. And the next morning I was up 
walking, you know, going upstairs, normal bodily functions. So like your, your body adapts and you learn what it can take. And I think it, you put it through that stress and it, once you get there again, it's like, okay, this is what we did last time. This is what we're going to do now. So Mm -hmm. I don't regret it for sure. And actually that was the race. I just texted you this morning. Like, what do you think about an eight week training program for this hundred mile race that I took 34 hours in the last time? Like, (laughs) so I'm, and what, and you finished that race, you kind of glossed over it, but you finished it. And what did you think? Um, well, my first 50 miles were 11 hours and my second 50 miles were 23 hours. So (laughs) I saw the sun come up and down and up and almost down again and like never slept. (laughs) But honestly, that was one of the coolest things that I've done in my life. My kids were there. My wife was there. Like they saw me suffer, but they like, I was alive the next day. Uh, so it's. You took that last, didn't you? No, I, I, oh. I think because the conditions were so bad. Yeah. It, didn't it snow nine inches prior to yeah, that? Yeah. So I think 50 people started the hundred and like. 23 finished i'm just guessing around there and i think i got like 17th or something but uh i did the smart thing leading up to it and saw what the course record was and that's what i set my pace at the first 50 you know just go go for the record even though i've never ran more than 30 miles (laughs) and it wasn't when the record was set there weren't nine inches of snow no it was dry and probably like 40 degrees now, I would have thought that that would have helped the descents cushion the blow. And you ended up saying that the descents just destroyed your quads yeah. and knees. Yeah, because the amount of braking it took to stop in snow was like unbelievable. And there, there's a lot of the hills are like 25, 30 degree hills. It's not like you're going to tiptoe down them. Like, and then there, you know, most of the people were going down on their ass. Like it was, it was pretty bad. <laughs> So does, does ultras have your heart now, Ian? Is that really where you're? Well, you're they do and they don't. They, I love doing them, but they also, for one, it's a huge time commitment to drag my family to something. Like if they think they're, I told them I was going to be done in 24 hours, no matter what. And that, in that race, we were there for a day and a half. Like, so it's hard for me to be like, Hey, next weekend, we're going to go down to Illinois and I may or I may finish in 16 or it could be 32 if I get crampy. Like you might have to take Monday off from school. So that's, that's the hard part for me with those is logistically it's really tough. And on my body, I can't do probably more than I would say three or four really tough ones a year. But, uh, I still like if, I mean, if there were Spartan races available this year, I would have done, you know, two or three a month like normal. And cause I, st- I still definitely love the ob- the obstacle uh, racing idea, the race. Everything's awesome about it. Two or three a month or a year? Two or three a month if they're if, – if I could get to them, that's the problem in the Midwest. But uh, there's been a few years where I've probably ran 15 or 20. Not lately. Not the no, year. no, no. So I want to know then, um, as we're certainly working at, at wrapping this thing up, um, are you – are you planning on anything for 2021? What are you looking to? If I had to say today, I'd be right back in that 24 hour, 12 hour obstacle race. Like that's, that, that sounds appealing to me, but any, any Spartan race that I can get to for sure, I, I would be all about it. 
And you're going to have a breakout race? Are you going to have that race happen where suddenly David Magida is talking about Ian Caskey? Are we going to have potentially, that race? Potentially. Potentially. Yes, we get yes <laughs> I don't want to make excuses, but if we could do like a 10-mile, you know, not in elevation mountain climbing, you know, if Jacksonville was 10 miles, I think I'd be really hard to beat. Uh, not that I can't do a sprint and be successful, but it, uh, yeah, I, I'd throw my hat in there for sure. If you had to design your perfect course, non-ultra, what would you design? A 400 meter track. (laughs) 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 To be honest, uh, the trail, I have some advantage in trails, but like, you know, like the softer, the trail, the shittier, the terrain, the foot speed doesn't matter as much. So, uh, better the better the footing the less tight turns just straight out running that would be my idea and then the heavy carries yeah get them big and heavy you know double sandbag double bucket maybe not up the hill but <laughs> i i can throw two bundles of shingles on my on my back and go up a 40 foot ladder and not die so let's that that would be my that would be my a race i guess maybe not the ladder with the shingles but heavy carries Long, open, easy, not easy, good footing runs and decent weather. The weather is even. Horses out there. No, it's there's not. <laughs> compact running. That doesn't exist very often. No, no. Matt Novakovich is, he shares your, your background of the roofing industry shaping him as a mentally tough endurance athlete. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's a good training tool. There are a lot of similarities there actually, isn't there? Yeah. With the grind and, and everything. Um, what else you got, Bracken? What burning questions? I got my burning question out of the way. Well, I think for the people to hear, Ian has talked about it a bit as have I, that one of his big Achilles heel has been technical terrain running and the other has been cramping. And that's the everyman struggle. You go to an off-road race or an ultra and people struggle with cramping and with technical terrain. So you live in the flatlands. You don't have a ton of technical terrain near you. What do people need to do to transform themselves into an endurance or an ultra athlete that doesn't cramp as much and can maintain as as much of their speed as they can on technical terrain? You're asking me, the guy that still cramps all the time? <laughs> uh, well, I'm still not there for sure, but I think, uh, like I mentioned, I have a, a trail that has some sand on it on a hill. I've tried to do repeats on there. Um up and down, fast and slow, obviously. Um, and then I, I've taken days where I just call it like burn out the brakes, just go to some steep hills as steep as I can get and bomb down them, jog back up and repeat for 60 to 90 minutes. Uh, same way with uphill too, but I don't think it doesn't do as much damage in a positive way, I guess, if there is such a thing. It doesn't damage stuff the way the downhill does. Um, and I think that's, that's helped me, um, heavy carries, heavy drags, stuff where you're getting, you know, my cramps usually come in my hamstring. So doing some heavy pulls or drags up or down a hill sideways, trying to get them strained and then try to go do some hard runs and rolls, stuff like that. I like that you're talking, you know, people, the misconception is people think it has a lot to do with being dehydrated no. or an electrolyte imbalance. <laughs> It has to do with you haven't exposed yourself to that stimulus enough, and that's why the body cramps. So I like that. That's what you're doing. That that makes a lot of sense based on what I know. 
Yeah, the heavy drag and pull thing I think is key because it's similar to being extremely exhausted partway through a really long event where you're really having to overexert on those muscle groups. For sure. And when you don't live in the mountains, you have to simulate them somehow. That's the idea. And that's not, that's not an excuse not having a long downhill. You got a hundred foot gain and drop yep. trail. Well, it looks like you're going up and down at 35 yeah. times today because that's what it's going to take to create that stimulus. That's what I well, do. And if you're going to do something like an ultra, I, I, that's like a twofer. Cause then you, not that I enjoy it, but it's like, I know if I can get through this hour, then I've got a little bit of base built for my mental game. And I, I'm not out there like, oh, do to do. Oh, hey, it's an hour already. Like I'm staring at my watch, like up and down takes a minute 30. Okay, now it's three minutes. Now it's six minutes, like just dragging on, but just trying to zone out. Like, don't look at your watch. <laughs> but it's still like when the hour clicks by, it's like definitely a relief, even on an easy day, on an easier day. I will say that one of the benefits to living in the Midwest and having access to um, not much for vert is I will say the one advantage is that going up and down the same hills to get vert and then actually going to a race where you get to like climb and see new terrain the whole way up is actually an advantage. I don't, that's like a mental like check mark that is helpful for sure. on race day that we don't get in training. We're going to the monotony. And so sometimes race day is extra exciting and it's easier to kind of keep the throttle down when you're not just a yeah. hamster on a wheel. I do think that's a, benef a benefit that we have. It may be small, but I'll take what I can get. Yeah, I would agree. Do you do anything strength training wise in order to try to supplement that, those muscular groups that need some cramp prevention? I haven't lately just because of the racing. Uh, I usually, in the, the few years or last year when we were actually able to race, I would keep that just for the month or so leading up to the race like the off season type stuff. I, I just considered it runtime. Um, and I don't do a ton of strength training. I don't, I've never been a gym guy. I mean, I, to this day, I, and since college, I've probably got under a squat bar two times, same okay. with a bench. Like it's mostly just body weight or, uh, just actual body, body weight movements, not so much weights. Well, if you're hunting yeah. shingles around, yeah. I think you got some applicable these yeah. days, are you up on the ladders much? Not very much. No, no. You're getting soft. Pretty much. <laughs> so long term, then, if if you had to look back on your running career, the day when your legs or mind or lifestyle gives out and your mm -hmm. your racing's done, what would be the the accomplishments that you'd be most hopeful that you can look back on? Are, are there things out there that are definitely on your list that when I'm done, all said and done? I want to hang my hat on these things that I've already done or that I'd want to do that. You will want to do see what I can do endurance wise. I, you know, if I have the time, I'd like to go after some of the longer runs. I, I respect Trevor psychos a lot and I'd like to go, you know, in a perfect world, if I could travel freely and take my kids, I'd be over in England trying to run across whatever it is, 250 miles, scare him scare him for his course record type stuff. Um, but yeah, I'd say mostly in longer endurance events is what, what I think I, I would be the most likely to have long-term success at. Do you have your eye on any particular traverse or FKT or race? It's not really, honestly. 
Um, well, before the, if I had had better results in the ultravirus, my thought was, uh, if I can run 90 miles on the track, then I was going to try to get into the, uh, what's it called? It's the, it's a race out in Arizona on a yeah, track. The solstice. Solstice, the solstice. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to get something I could send to them cause it's an invite only. And I wanted to see what I could, if I could, you know, get close to doing something in the 12, the 12 hour, hundred miles somewhere range in there. That solstice event is they, they hold a, uh, invite only ultra race on a track and they try to set records. It's kind of yeah. a cool invite only <laughs> suffer fest yep. where you can not have any elevation gain and just focus on trying to run as fast as you can for as long as you can. Yep. For time or distance? Uh, there's both. The, the, like uh, they may go oh. after the hundred mile and try to get uh, the 12 hour at the same time, depending on the race racer, I guess. Have you considered doing a last man standing? kind of race i would love that yeah 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 seen built for that. like big's backyard like yeah for sure yeah i, I feel like you're, you're pretty geared for if that. there was an obstacle course race like that that would be like that would be my jam for sure yeah, you can suffer the fun. longest <laughs> i'd like to see yeah. more of those races there's not enough of those yeah. and that's such a cool concept isn't it Talk about like viewer, like, I don't know. It, it can be tough to be engaged. It could, it could be as simple as that. The, the mile race that you guys talked about, I watched it where if you're the last guy that finishes the lap, yeah. then you get kicked out. Like, so you start with 12 guys and after the last first hour, one guy drops out and then you keep going. And then maybe the last hour is the actual race, you know, yeah, and you can do it with short distance too. Those elimination knockout races. Yeah, you have a four hundred or six hundred or two hundred meter loop, and last person across the line is out each lap. Yep. But then to have like one minute, hmm. have one minute rest between, so then it's legit endurance. <laughs> Don't wait around for four hours. Yeah, exactly. You have any sponsors helping you these days, or are you a self self made? Uh, I don't have any actual people writing me checks. Uh, Honey, honey stingers sponsored me for a couple years with product and i definitely like that uh, it's a really good product um short of that i didn't make the spartan pro team this year for the one race we had i wasn't i was on the, the pro team the year before um which if that came around again i definitely want to do that if i could otherwise i don't have any sponsors just me my company i guess sponsoring myself writing checks. <laughs> That's right. So my last question then is you're 39, correct? Yep. Have you given any thought to when that tipping point is going to occur when you're going to switch to master's athlete or when you're going to switch to age group versus pro, or are you just going to go until the results tell you? For Spartan, I don't think it would take a lot for me to pull out of the elite because it would be hard for me to, to not to put the competitive heats down at all. But since I've been in the elite heat for so long, it'd be hard for me to to step down. Mm-hmm. Eventually, I'm sure I will. Um, but part of why I like the ultras, you look at a lot of the guys winning the ultras, they're not 25. A lot of them are 30 or 45, 50-year-old guys just going out there and grinding. Um, so once once my fast twitch stuff is used up, then I I'm happy I have that outlet to to utilize. There is one more fast twitch race I want to get into if if we're racing hopefully next year. 
um, or actually it'd be two years because I don't qualify yet. The Drake Relays has a Masters 800. It's their mm. only Masters race they have during the actual Drake Relays. And I don't think anybody's went sub two for like 15 years or something. And and it's 40 plus? Really? Yeah, 40. Um, but I'd, I turned 40 in August next year, so it'd be, the, it'd be after the race. Or I'd have to go when I was 40 the following year. Um, but I, I dropped a 159 last year at a high school track meet masters twilight type race. Nice. So I think just have to hold on to it a little, little bit longer, which is getting harder and harder. <laughs> well, well, you keep training like you are and doing endurance events. That is a tall order to that's it is. opposite ends of the it spectrum. Is. Yeah. I'd have to take a few months to actually hit the track legitimately, but that could be fun though. Yeah, for sure. Just like Hobie, is he still trying to do something with the mile with Hawk, his kid? I haven't heard anything. He had I an don't injury, know. I think a hernia, and who knows what else. I don't think he's been healthy. I, I know that he was going to do, for Hunter's OCR Stars, he was going to do the Celebrity Mile. They were going to kick it off with that. It was him, VJ, Max King, a couple people, Hunter, oh, all nice. on the track together. And Max looks like he might not make it, and Hobie's not healthy enough to do it. So who knows what's going on with him right now? Gotcha. Father time is undefeated. Yeah, unfortunately. Mm. Yeah. Tough to see, isn't it? Like it always wins, and it's not people's ability to still compete well when they're 40, 45. Yep. Something gets them. Injury, health, something. Well, and, and I think it's important it's to have something. It doesn't have to be a ultra racing, but for me – I'm not worried about it at all. I know that I've got, I've got plenty of stuff I can stay competitive at until mm-hmm. I can't, until my body can't move anymore. <laughs> yeah. Is that your plan? Yeah. And then maybe then <laughs> there's wheel, there's wheelchair races. I mean, for you. I'll figure something out. I can pat, I can paddle a kayak. <laughs> I like that mentality. That's funny. Anything else you want to add Ian? Any, uh, Anybody want to give thanks to or anything? People uh, know? My wife, obviously, for supporting me and helping me, letting me a lot of times do really stupid shit. Um, and my kids for being there with me, too, and not not thinking I'm crazy, or at least they don't tell me that. Uh, the rest of my family for supporting me, for sure. Friends. Uh, you guys, Bracken, has helped me for a long time. Kirk, you've been there, too. Uh, even just throw shit at you two guys what's going to work, what's not, what are we doing, what's the best shoe to wear here, all that stuff. And definitely glad you guys have a podcast because it's it's got me through a lot of long runs, and I'm not going to say I use it for my hard runs, but it's been a good tool in a lot of ways for sure. Happy to be a part of your training on a daily basis then. Yeah. Yeah, man. You're setting a good example for those kids too. I'm sure they do think you're a little crazy, but I also think that when they're old enough to absorb what dad's been doing – you might you might be crewing for oh, yeah. some, somebody else. Someday. Yeah, my older two already said they would like to do a hundred mile race someday, which is not normal for a eleven or eight year old. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Cool. Well, Ian, man, it's been a good conversation. I hope the people get to know you better, and I hope that I hope that the people see your name on a leaderboard and now will understand why. Yeah, that is my hope. That works for me. Rather have you guys say it than me. <laughs> You know what we're going to have to do? <laughs> we're going to have to get our running public singlet race gear out there. And there you go. Slap one on Ian and slap one on some people that have been there with us from the start. When they And then your breakthrough can come through in our colors. There you go. That's right. 
All right, man. Well, thanks for uh, taking the time today. Not a problem. Busy guy. Glad, glad I could chat with you guys for a while. It's good hearing from you. See you, man. See ya.